Good morning, is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Wow, what a morning. That's amazing, isn't it? Can I, can I ask you please to hang on to those, those words? Um, just again, want to commend the guys that, that shared from, from Maastricht. Uh, so important that we, we recognise all this is part of the one kind of story. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a, in a minute. Um, in many ways, that's the least of, of what we do this morning because there have been folks here that have been sharing the reality uh, of, of God moving through their lives, uh, using them in the Holy Spirit. So again, at the end, as we have uh, tea and coffee, just grab hold of those folks that, that share down the front there. Ask them more about their story. Uh, you can ask me some stuff if you want, but I think these are the guys that, in a sense, have already uh, shared the sermon this morning, shared the reality of the Holy Spirit. So please uh, uh, follow up with them, encourage them, ask them uh, their stuff. Uh, we are this morning continuing with our series on the Holy Spirit under the heading of the giver and his gifts. Just a bit slightly. Um, my, my, I've gone with the colourway of, uh, of this series, which is kind of, I don't know what you call that, I'll call it pink. Someone might kind of go with something, uh, raspberry did I hear? Okay, okay. I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, it, it was perhaps the biggest dilemma in what to do with this sermon was nothing to do with the truth of the Holy Spirit, is do I go with white font on a raspberry background, which uh, I, I debated that one long and hard, and whether it works or not, that we're going with that colourway. So, um, uh, <laughs> Okay, tough questions out of the way. Um, the question that I've been asked to uh, speak on this morning is, do we need the Holy Spirit? Or why do we need the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? It's a good question. It's a very good question, uh, especially if you remember back to what Danny was talking about just last week, about how through most of church history, uh, the Holy Spirit has been that forgotten part of the Trinity. Uh, Danny mentioned Francis Chan's book, The Forgotten God. And the truth is that generations of Christians have lived and died with a rock-solid belief in God, a rock-solid belief in the work of Jesus Christ, but without much understanding of the Holy Spirit. And so it's a good question, why do we need the Holy Spirit? And as I was thinking about what I might say this morning, I, I was just <laughs> interestingly reminded of those books that you often come across when you go browsing through bookshops, or I do when I go browsing. Uh, uh, 101 places that you must visit, or uh, 101 movies to see before you die or something. I was kind of so tempted to title this morning 101 Reasons Why We Need the Holy Spirit, uh, but that would probably mean we needed a little bit longer than we had time for. So uh, I'm going to stick with my uh, traditional three points. I trust that's okay. Okay. There's probably about another 997 points out there that you could probably find um, if you wanted to. But let's start with a, with a passage uh, from Scripture. I need to work out which way to hold this thing. Is it that way around or is it the other way around? It's on? Oh, no, it's not on. There we go. Oh, okay, we'll start with that and we'll try holding it that way and that works. Fantastic. Okay. Great. Uh, always turn it off and turn it on again, and it usually works. Okay, so this is uh, Luke, who wrote the second gospel, writing. He also wrote Acts. He's writing to his friend and colleague, Theophilus. So we're in the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. 
after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore uh, the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then just a couple of verses from uh, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Father, just thank you that we can gather here this morning. Thank you for all that you've been speaking to us and saying to us already. Just pray you really bless uh, these next few moments as we look at your truths. Amen. I mean, the Bible is full of amazing transformation stories. Uh, Something changes almost from one verse to the next. We think of the many healing miracles that we read of in in the Gospels. Lazarus' friends weeping and mourning at the tomb at the beginning of John chapter 11. Yet by the end of that chapter, that weeping had turned to joy as Lazarus is raised from the dead. So too with lepers healed, uh, sight and hearing restored to those who were suffering. What a difference a couple of verses makes. Sometimes that change can be seen for the worse, apparently. The triumphant entry into Jerusalem turns to violent mobs and the crucifixion a few verses later. The disciples constantly or confidently casting out demons and healing the sick become a scared group huddled in an upper room, wondering what comes next. That command to not leave Jerusalem hardly seems necessary. No one at that moment had the courage to enter out of the front door, let alone to think about Samaria or the ends of the earth. But then, of course, Acts 2 happens and everything changes. That small, barely literate group of ordinary men and women suddenly find a strength and a confidence. They suddenly find the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit fills them And suddenly, everything changes. They launch out such that a few decades later, there's not a corner of the known world that hasn't heard of Christians or of Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, this is an incredible book of amazing transformations. And at the heart of any change that you or I go through is the Holy Spirit. Yes, we need the Holy Spirit. But let me be more specific We need the Holy Spirit for a number of things. And I said, I'm just going to share three with you today or this morning. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. That might seem a strange point to start with, given that I've already said that generations seem to have lived and died throughout history without any great understanding of the Holy Spirit. 
Absolutely, they have a, a firm, solid faith in God, a firm, solid faith in Jesus Christ. But, but who is this forgotten part of the Trinity? What part does he play in all of this? Well, in many ways, he is there right at the beginning. Jesus, talking of the Holy Spirit, says to the disciples in John chapter 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only of what he hears, and he will tell you of what is yet to come. Now, when we speak of the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, that doesn't mean some, or doesn't just mean, some fairly abstract theological points that we might look at in our deeper truth sessions. That's good, but there's some bigger, more important truths that the Holy Spirit leads us into. Because it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into salvation. My ability, your ability to discern the truth to determine if the gospel is something that we want to respond to or not, is not actually down to our ability and our good sense. It's because the Holy Spirit has chosen to open our blind eyes. Now, uh, this in itself is a mystery. It's a deep mystery, something we have trouble getting our head around. We often phrase it in the, in the way, did I choose God or did God choose me? And trust me, that's not a question that, that we're going to have time to really unpack this morning. But if I could make an absolutely shameless plug for our deeper truth sessions, it is something we'll get to next year. Did I choose God or did God choose me? I don't know, I think that one comes in May or June, so you've got probably got to hang on for six months or so, but we'll get there eventually. But did I choose God or did God choose me? Because certainly it seems as though I chose God. It certainly seems to all of us that we chose God. I remember that moment 45 years ago. Yeah, 45 years ago when I heard the gospel and responded. When a youth leader came up to me and said, does this make sense to you? Do you want to respond? I think he was actually led by the Holy Spirit to, to ask me that question. And I said, yes, I do want to respond. I do want to accept this. It certainly seemed at that time, and it certainly seems ever since, that I chose God. I made that decision. And as we share with others, and as folks even now work their way through the Alpha Course, as Sunday by Sunday we preach the gospel here from the front, the objective is to put that choice in front of people and to say, do you want to accept Jesus into your life? And if we are not asking you that question pretty much Sunday by Sunday, then we are failing as people who speak from the front here. If you are not hearing that question, it is not because you have switched off. It's not because you are attentive, because it's a question we must keep asking day in, day out. Have you accepted Jesus into your life? Have you made that choice? And we phrase it that way and we say it that way because that's just how it seems to us. Yeah, I have a choice to make. But here is the important point. How was it at that moment, 45 years ago, that I could make that right decision and choose God? I, like most people, if we're perfectly honest, don't always make the right decisions. I like to think as I go through life, as I've been presented with various options, I like to think I've usually made the right choice. The reality is I probably always haven't. I've probably made some wrong choices in my life. I've probably made some bad decisions, probably more often than I would care to admit. And how terrible if my salvation depended 
on me, or depended solely on me, making that right decision? What's to say that I wouldn't make that right decision? What's to say that I wouldn't ever say yes? Not just at that moment when the gospel presented, but all the other subsequent times when the gospel was presented. If it was purely down to me, I might forever say no. How terrible would that be if it depended solely on me? And the truth is that I couldn't do this, stand up here and do this, if that's how things were. I think Danny and Steve would probably say the same sort of thing. Because if this was solely dependent on us convincing you of a truth, how terrible would that be if we didn't quite cut it? If I had an off day, if I didn't get my points across, if you were inattentive and thinking about dinner in the oven and watching the clock and realising that it's 11.13 and uh, my dinner's cooking, if at that moment when the truth of the eternal truth of the gospel was shared, your mind was elsewhere and that moment has gone into the wind, never to come back again, how terrible would that be? if our eternal salvation depended on me saying the right thing in the right way at the right time and you hearing just the right words at the right moment at the right time and making the right decision to say yes. I couldn't do this if that's how it was. And of course, I, we prepare, we want to present a compelling message, yet I know that if people respond, it's because it is the Holy Spirit that has opened blind eyes, that has opened deaf ears to hear. Why doesn't that happen for everyone? I don't know. But I do know that those who believe, believe because the Holy Spirit has worked and opened their blind eyes. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. And when we pray for people, as we do, as we are constantly doing, what do we do when we don't seem to see an answer and a response? What do you do when everything you think you can possibly say has been said? When every argument that you could present has been presented. When every time you kind of try to subtly shift that conversation around to church things, the conversation has been moved back again. How do you keep praying for people? How do, what more can I, in my strength, bring to this discussion? How do we pray in those situations? Well, we keep praying because we know that ultimately it isn't down to us. It is down to the Holy Spirit that opens blind eyes in an instant. That's how it worked for me. See, 45 years ago when I became a Christian, sitting, if the church I was in was probably a slightly different, so I've got to turn myself around, so if the church was that way, yeah, I was sitting probably over there, a couple of rows back from the front, and the guy shared the gospel, and the youth leader came up to me and said, do you want to respond to this? That wasn't the first time I had heard the gospel. I'd heard the gospel many times before. It wasn't the best gospel presentation I'd ever heard. If I wanted to analyse the sentence, construct the points, there were other times where I would probably say that was a better presentation. But what changed at that moment, 45 years ago, that the not the best gospel presentation that I had heard many times before suddenly, suddenly impacted me? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who opened my blind eyes. In an instant, everything changes. Saul was both um, physically, 
Okay, my clicker needs healing. <laughs> there you go, thank you. I'll go back. There you go. Uh, Saul, in an instant, was healed. Saul, Saul was spiritually and physically blind. He, he was blinded on the road uh, when he saw this vision of Jesus. Uh, and later he was prayed for by uh, 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 someone to receive his sight. And it says there in Acts 9, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. You see, that is a picture. That picture of physical healing is a picture of what happens to us spiritually as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And suddenly truths that, that uh, just hadn't sunk in before for some strange, obscure reason now suddenly make sense. We need the Holy Spirit for salvation. Secondly, we need the Holy Spirit for our structures. Now, that may not be the best heading, um, but for all my points, but the desire for all my points to start with the same letter kind of outweighed pretty much anything else in my kind of sermon construction. So we'll go with that one. We need the Holy Spirit for our structures. But what I mean here is, is really what sort of church do we want to be? What's our model? What's our template? What, what, what determines how we are? Um, and for many here, the answer this morning will be clear. But as there are probably some folks here that are new to the church, new to the faith, this is something that we have to keep sharing and keep repeating. That our model, our template, our structures, the way we do what we do, is based on what we read in the Bible in the first couple of chapters of the book of Acts. That's the church that we want to be. That's the goals and the objectives that we want to have. That's the pattern that we want to show. And, and we can't stop stressing this point enough. You know, in the, if any of you work for big companies or big corporations, I guess every couple of years you have a, a vision day. That's a, that's a good phrase, isn't it? That works outside the church as much as it does in the church. We can have vision days. I have vision days at work where we talk about what are the roles and objectives of the company? What are we going after now? What's changed? Have we got the latest 21st century marketing ideas and policies? And yeah, this company are no longer our competitors. It's this company over here that we're competing against. You know, visions can change. Well, actually, that may work for business. But for the church, for, for 2,000 years, this has been our template. This has been our model. This is our pattern of how we do church. And it doesn't change. And that's why those folks sharing what they shared from Maastricht is so, so important this morning. Because that's the reality. That's the outworking of that. It, by the way, the full name of this book is, is The Acts of the Apostles. Um, I think many commentators have said that actually a more accurate title will be The Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's actually the Holy Spirit that is acting. Uh, the apostles are doing some stuff, but it's the Holy Spirit that's working through them. Do we want to be a church that grows numerically? This is all questions that we need to ask about how we structure ourselves. Yes, we do, because we read, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you want some homework, I don't normally say homework, but hey, if you want some homework to, to today, go through the book of Acts and underline or highlight how many times it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's like a repetitive drumbeat through the book of Acts. It's just there, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, and the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Do we want to be a church that meets needs and acts as a family? Yes, we do, because we read all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who needs. 
Do we want to be a church where the supernatural is experienced every day? Yes, we do. Because we read after that, they prayed and the place where they met was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And God gave them a picture of birds to take them to this man to talk to. And this man came to Lord because this person prayed and this person picked him up and this person said, let's go and pick him up. And this person spoke to him after the church meeting. That's the church that we want to be. That's the church that we want to see effective in our day. And so on and so forth. Do we have elders who lead local churches and apostles who plant churches and have input and responsibility for groups of churches? Why are we even going to Maastricht? Which I think is in the Netherlands, but give me a map of Netherlands, I wouldn't find it. Because we're a family of churches, because we support one another. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they have put their trust. So I've already said that I became a Christian 45 years ago. I consider myself to have been very blessed, not just because I was saved as a teenager, but because I've lived through some exciting and turbulent times that I guess history now calls the charismatic renewal. A period that took place in probably the late 70s, 80s, where so many churches started to discover the Holy Spirit, this forgotten God, and recognise the need to change. You see, if you've been a Christian less time than me, and that could well be most of the folks here in this room, this might be your only experience of church. Now, now we're not perfect. We, we get things wrong. We probably get lots of things wrong. There's lots of areas where we could improve. But hey, this is exciting stuff. And I think many folks would probably, this is, this is our prayer, folks will come in on a Sunday morning for the first time and say, hey, I didn't know church could be like that, or church could be like this. I hope people do that. I hope that's the church that we model. It's interesting, because I was, in, as a Christian, in a church for a number of years, my experience is, I didn't know church could be like this. I hope you catch that subtle difference. It's not just somebody coming in for the first time and saying, oh, I don't know, church could be like this. No, I didn't know church could be like this. That's exciting stuff. That's exciting stuff. Again, it's part of the story that we have. And in all likelihood, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and changes that came upon the churches that I was part of at the time. A very ordinary, traditional Baptist church where we had hymns and prayers and hymns and prayers and it was pretty predictable and it was pretty stable and the guy who was leading the church at the time, he retired and a very, very brave leadership team started to look for a new pastor, a new leader. And the brief that they had, or part of the brief that they had, is that we've heard something about the Holy Spirit. We're looking for somebody who can lead us into understanding what that means. And ultimately, a new guy came with a heart to grow the church in the things of the Holy Spirit. And again, in a couple of verses, everything changed. That was my experience. That's the experience of this church. I wasn't here at that time, but that's where this church has come from, and is, uh, that's their history of a church that, that suddenly the Holy Spirit exploded upon them. We need the Holy Spirit for our structures. And then lastly, very conscious of time, we need the Holy Spirit for our services, or for our service. If all these changes to our structure have shown us anything, it's not just that our structures, how we do church needs to change, but we need to change. What we do, how we do it, the vital place the Holy Spirit plays uh, in our lives is another reason why we need the Holy Spirit. In days gone by, uh, stuff in the church would have been done by a handful of select elected leaders. 
and everybody else would have kind of watched from the sidelines. I, I was almost tempted to start this morning with a comment from Steve sharing football analogies. That I don't do that one. I don't do football analogies. But uh, uh, actually, I've got one here. It's, it's quite strange, isn't it? Yeah, you know. But, you know, I don't know if I'm becoming like Steve. Oh, gosh, I'll go there. Um, but, but, but church is not like a football match. It's not like we had 22 people on the field and 22,000 people in the stands watching what's going on. You know, church is 22,022 people on the field, engaged, doing stuff. That's what we have to be as a church. Church is not a spectator sport where we come to witness a performance. As God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongue. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? I think the unwritten answer to that is no, they don't. Not everybody does everything. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And there are many pictures and ways to describe the church in Scripture. We're an army, a bride, a light to the nations. But one of the most relevant pictures is that of a body. I think we said that already this morning. We're all parts that make up the body. We all have a vital role to play. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And actually, I put those verses the wrong way around purposely, just as I could explain when I was going with this. But that's when Paul goes on a few verses later to say that earlier passage. God has placed all of these things in the church, miracle workers, apostles, teachers, preachers, uh, those who bring tongues. And I guess as I want to kind of sort of land this as we're running out of time, I'm thinking back over the last 45 years of trying to understand the Holy Spirit. I think I've got another 45 years of trying to carry on doing that if God gives me that long, because we never get to the end of that one. But I think if one of the things that I have learned is that back in those early days, there was a great sense that this is exciting stuff. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I trust that's a prayer of everybody in this room here. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit because this is actually exciting stuff. This makes church exciting. Where I think my thinking has subtly shifted over the years is not that this is any less exciting, it is, but that it's not a case of God just giving me a good gift, although God is a giver of good gifts. That's the title of our series. But God gives good gifts that we might serve others. And I think one of the, not mistakes, I think that would be too strong a word, but one of the things that we still had to learn, I think, in the beginning, was it kind of seemed to end with me receiving something from God. That was a tick box that we used to tick. I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. The question that wasn't so often asked was, now how does this serve everybody else? And so let me ask you, or let me almost end with that question as we think about the Holy Spirit, as you ask God to give you good gifts. Ask, how does this serve my brothers and sisters in the body? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit for our service.
we could have the guys up, just to, uh, I think we've got time for just one more song. I just want to, again, as time rushes on, I want to give people opportunity to respond. It may be that you simply have questions that you want to ask. It may be you say, hey, this is new to me and I, I just want to be you. I want to know more of the Holy Spirit. I want to experience him. I want to know the reality of not just what I've said, but what the guys here have witnessed to. I want to know the reality of that. If that's you this morning, then please just speak to somebody that you know is a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit. Or if you're not sure, you can come down the front here. There'll be folks here that would love to pray with you to receive the Holy Spirit. If you don't know Jesus, again, we must every Sunday say, if you want to accept Jesus into your life for the first time, if you don't know him, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to start on this journey, you can do that this morning. If you need healing, if you need prayer for anything, we can pray with you, stand with you on those. So we've just got a couple of minutes. Let's just sing one more song. If you want prayer for anything, please do come down the front. I'll speak to someone who can pray with you. Amen.